The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, thanks a lot, Scott. Right now on Fast Stocks, limp to the finish of a really bruising week. The dam is spreading beyond FedEx to tech. The industrial is housing. Not one single sector spared from the losses. And with the Fed decision looming, do investors need to brace for more pain to come? Plus, get in line. Despite a week where Red Ink dominated the tape, Apple proving the consumer is still willing to spend. We're working on a shopping list of names that are holding up in this down market. And later, our stock of the week. That's week with an A. Oh, I get it. Oh, there we go. Um, thanks for the didn't things. During these five rough days of trading, this one stock has been drilled to the tune of almost 8%. The name and the trade just minutes away. I am Frank Holland in for Miss Melissa Lee. And this is Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, we're going clockwise, counterclockwise, I don't know. Tim Seymour, he's over there. Jeff Mills, he's over there. Steve Grasso, he's right here. And we start with the markets that are well fed up. The S&P 500 falling almost 5% this week, breaking through that key technical level of 3,900. Yes, FedEx had its worst and highest volume day ever, dropping more than 21%. But ahead of Powell's big decision on interest rates next week, a lot to think about here. The selling was really kind of across the board. Companies experiencing brutal market cap losses this week. Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, FedEx, and many more making that list. So ahead of the FOMC meeting, do investors need to brace for more rough days ahead? Or did today's finish with the markets well off the lows give you guys just a little bit of hope? Just a little bit. Steve, I'm going to come over to you yeah, first. Yeah, so I think if you give you a brace a little more for volatility for September, October, I think we thought we were going to get a reprieve, maybe a lighter CPI number. Obviously, everyone on no. this desk knows we didn't get that. Didn't get that. Fed's going to be aggressive, more hawkish than we thought. If that's the case, then the market must go lower on those on that screen. Tech leads the market up and tech leads the market down. So I would say that we should brace for impact. And what I mean by impact is don't worry about the June low. Worry about the February 2020 level, which is around 3300. I think there's no reason why the market should be here. And with headwinds, it's more of a case why it should drop to that level. Wait, you're saying brace for impact. So the impact we're looking for is 100 points on no, September the, the 21st or 75? No, oh, oh, I'm sorry. So the Fed level, we, we were talking about 75 and possibly 50 basis points. Now the conversation is 75 basis points or 100 um, yeah. basis points. So either one is going to be negative for the market. This is more negative than we priced in. Mm -hmm. So I think the market ultimately goes lower. Jeff, what, how are you seeing things? I mean, we had a high volume day. Obviously, a lot of people selling off, trying to get out of stocks. We talked about all these mega cap tech stocks losing market cap. Where do we possibly see a recovery next week? 
Yeah, and there was some option stuff going on today, too, so I think that is part of it. You know, next week with the Fed, I think it's going to come down to the commentary. I think that 75 basis points is very, very likely. It's going to be about what Powell says. But at this point in time, and thinking about what is likely to happen next, you know, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, you know what, sentiment's very negative. Everybody's expecting a recession. We're in this bear market already. But I think the problem is looking at valuations right now, it may not give you a great sign of what they truly represent, because I still think that that E compresses. And I think that, that goes back to FedEx. Maybe this is a watershed moment. Maybe companies finally start talking about earnings in a way that's more consistent with the economic reality. I think ultimately it's that earnings component that limits the upside. I talked about this last week, but even if earnings don't move at all for 2023, that's $243 a share is expected, 17 times multiple. That's still only 4100 on the upside. And then if that E compresses, it just makes it even more difficult. No, in fact, you know, till, till the medicine takes, in other words, what the Fed is trying to do to bring inflation under control, we, we really have no idea where demand is. Uh, FedEx last night, I think we, we well flagged whether this was a company-specific story or a cyclical story. Unfortunately, FedEx as a company now behaves much more cyclically than they should, and we say that's their relative underperformance to UPS. But, but clearly, we're waiting for the Fed to kick in here. And as we look around the world, you know, part of today's, uh, I think, takeaways are, or this week's takeaways are a couple things related to growth and credit. And, and if you look at what's going on with the dollar, uh, pound hit you know, multi-decade lows against the dollar this week. But credit is starting to teeter a little bit, too. There's been some talk about the CLO market. In certain parts, we talk about high-yield markets on this desk. So when you have a pullback in growth, and that's what FedEx said, that's what Jim Cramer asked Raj last night on his show, do you think the globe is going into recession? He said, yeah, I think so, in so many words. And I think that's what this week felt like. This felt like the week where not only were we really affirming that global growth was slowing down, we've all been talking about it, I don't think there's any question, but some of the biggest companies in the world. How about Adobe? Adobe lost $20 billion, and again, it was a an acquisition that they announced, but it was also a terrible guide by one of the companies that's been so cash flow accretive. So um, I think this week was uh, where we kind of moved down the progression of what's been going on in this marketplace. Yeah, one thing about Adobe, though, that was offensive and defensive. I know the market didn't like the price tag on Figma, but it was keeping Figma away from Salesforce and Microsoft, which would have increased competition for Adobe. But one thing, back to FedEx. So you're, you're, you're in the camp now that it's a macro problem, not a FedEx problem. I think it's both. I, I think FedEx is so underperformed UPS in terms of their gross margin for so long. And when you when you look at what FedEx announced, look, they, they talked about global growth dynamics. They talked a lot about Europe. They talked a lot about Asia. But they talked a lot about also cost side. And this is where they've been terribly inefficient. This market will, will certainly draw a bright light on those companies that are not doing this. And again, we're going to get to a different part of the show where we're going to talk about those companies that are actually delivering and delivering free cash flow. FedEx is not one of them. All right. So we're looking at the brutal losses right here. Jeff, you, you kind of looked at me for a second like you had something to say about this one. So FedEx problem or macro problem? Well, I, I, I do think it's both, right? And I think the macro problem is creating the company-specific problems because demand is falling. But this doesn't mean that we can't have rallies. We've had them already this year. Bear market rallies uh, are the norm, not the exception. But I think you have to watch a couple of things. And Tim mentioned it. You have to watch credit. That's been the tell all year. You've had these little rallies. But by and large, credit has continued to deteriorate during those periods of for time. Sure. And also broad leadership. So what is leading during those rallies? We talked about banks. They were performing okay. But looking at them relative to a sector like utilities, they continued to make new lows. So watch the leadership complexion of market rallies. I think that's really important. And pay attention to credit. I think that will be a very good tell in terms of the staying power of any positivity we see in equities, at least for the next quarter. Or so. But just think about why we've had those rallies. Those rallies have all been Fed-based. So this is not something that we even have control over or the Fed has no control over this. So everything, is it going to be negative or positive going forward with the Fed? 
I'll answer. It's rhetorical. Negative. So that means that the market is going to trade lower. And if the market is led around because of the percentage based on the S&P with tech stocks, then those are the names that are going to get hit the hardest. Really quick, before I let you go, because we've got to get over to Carter. Uh, quadruple witching day, was that also a factor today? I mean, we're going to say it a bunch of times. Obviously, it's the expiration of a lot of derivatives. But how much of a factor was that as opposed to just FedEx really spooking a lot of people? I think it's always a factor, but it's always a factor with volumes versus directionality. So you have to look at where the people are set up or traders are set up with options related. So how much do they have for sale? But this is no, we, we all know what was, what was coming down the pike on this. So it was half and half, if, if I can play it that way. All right. All right, the S&P wrapped its worst week in two months, so where do we go from here? The chart master says he's still a seller. Let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Carding. Charting? Carding? No, it's not. It's a trash business. <laughs> Sorry about FedEx. that. <laughs> Carter, <laughs> back over to you. I get, I get charter, but I've never gotten carding, but it's all good. Let's figure <laughs> this out together. Carding can be a good business. Charting can be a good business, too. So anyway, what we have here is the S&P, and, and, and the, sort of the, the happy thing is it, is it has lent itself to technicals beautifully, right? We know that on the way up, it has failed at the trend line over and over and over, and on the way down, it's done the same thing. And in fact, down here, it's done the same thing. So it's not DCF, and it's not peg ratio, and it's not enterprise value. But that is simply and only charts. I know people don't like to hear that, but that is the reality. And what do we do? We just broke down. All right, let's go forward and let's see what the next one looks like. And what we're going to try to do is drill down on this moment. So we have this very precise minor uptrend line. We have broken. And of course, if you were to look at this formation, we have all the elements of that minor head and shoulders top. Really, ultimately, I think we complete this and we get down to the low of 36.36. That is June 16th. That's about 5, 6%. And you can see that on the next chart. Now, the real question is, and Grasso raised this, do we go lower? There's every possibility of going lower. Let's look at a final chart and figure it out together. This is an all data from the 09 low. So if you simply connect your financial crisis low with your COVID low, we've lived this entire channel until we blew out through the top when the excesses of, of last year. And now we're simply at the middle point. Do we get down into here? Do we get down into the, into the middle or lower part of the bottom? And I think we do. So 3,300 is about where that comes into play, and um, why not? But, Carter, how about the overshoot? Michael Hartnett uh, from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch out there today, a guy I, I respect. And, and he actually talked about the 35th anniversary of the 87 crash and, and actually uh, a couple key data points he's looking at that could take you uh, really to, to 3,000 uh, or 3,020 on the S&P. Could that be an overshoot? And, again, just the, the realm here. You know, so absolutely. If you, and if you look at that last chart, um, what you can do is just as we overshot through the top of the channel right here, you can overshoot to the downside. But before we get to 32 or 3,000, I think 33. And then I have, I'll tell you, some very big clients talking mid to low 2,000s. Hmm. Wow. Mid to low 2,000s. All right. Thanks a lot, Carter. There's going to be a lot of carding around at that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of, I might have to get into carding. All right. Thanks, Carter. We're going to see you back here in a few minutes for options action. All right. Let's just trade this. Jeff, again, I see out the corner of my eye, you made a face there when we got to those key technical levels. Was there something that caught you? (laughs) 
I'm always making faces. Are you always making faces? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, half the time they don't mean anything. But <laughs> what happens if that's just his face? Now you made him feel self-conscious. <laughs> exactly. No, but I mean, those levels are something that we've all been looking at, right? It's that It was that minor upward trend line and then 3,900, 3, closed below it. So problematic. But we're being so negative. Let me just, a little bit of sunshine here on a Friday. So, and this is practical advice in dealing with, you know, real investment committees. I chair an investment committee for a nonprofit. We're talking about putting cash to work. You are far more likely to regret putting cash to work when the market is up 20% versus down 20% if you have more than a couple of year time horizon. So just keep that in mind. Of course, the market can continue to drop. I think it actually will. But it doesn't mean that putting money to work now is the wrong decision for the vast majority of investors watching this show. I mean, on average, the markets move up 10% annually since the, be- since the beginning of markets. But the truth is, I- I'm negative for the next two months. I think that midterm elections are going to be the catalyst for the market to rally in the last two months of the year. But I do think we could see some of these much lower levels that really tests everyone's moral fiber. All right. Yeah. So really quick, Tim, I'm going to get over to you. But you're saying they're going to rally. So you're, you're forecasting gridlock. Generally, gridlock creates that rally. Gridlock in the last two months. But I think the next two months are going to be a little bit, uh, a, a little bit tense. And we could see that 3,300 level in the S&P. I go back to where positioning is and also where you actually see sentiment right now. It's terrible. And you look at consumer confidence. We had a University of Michigan out there today. It's slightly better than expected, but still well below those COVID lows on the University of Michigan confidence. So I just think that the market is prepared on some level. I think uh, this move has been seemingly almost in slow motion when you consider all the things that we've been uh, assessing over the last 18 months. I think you have to be patient as an investor. This isn't going to happen overnight. And in fact, I think you've been given enormous trading opportunities. You've had nine or more plus or minus 8% moves in the S&P this year. And I think you're going to continue to get those. And again, we've had a major pullback. Uh, I think we are, as Jeff said, in a place where uh, uh, there, are, there are stories to be bought out there. There are companies we're going to give you in a little bit that are also ones that I think you can sleep on. But it is time to be finding the best companies in the world. I, I can own Google here. Um, I can own Apple here. I, I choose not to be. But I think there's a place where a lot of investors want to know what they can start adding. Right. I think that might be true in, in tech generally. Uh, tech, obviously, a moment of capitulation. A lot of those big tech companies, we talk about cloud. We're talking about software names down 50%, 80% from their high. Is, are those the kind of groups you're talking about that all of a sudden they're not as expensive to get a little bit more attractive? Well, uh, you know, look, we, we talked about this yesterday when we talked about Adobe. Software companies, I think, continue to be a place where the multiples are tough to justify. But when you look at companies that are both um, have some cyclicality and are, are kind of hitting some of those headwinds, but we haven't heard the pullback in cloud. That's the one thing that I'd be most worried about with Microsoft and Google, um, who have a lot of exposure there. But, but again, um, Google at... 17, 18 times with a peg ratio of one or less. That's a company that's priced pretty attractively here, and I think you can own it. All right. Well, coming up, our twist on the chart of the week, plus retail stocks position to overcome a down market. But first, CNBC's Steve Kovac is on iPhone 14 Patrol in New York's flagship Apple store. Steve. Hey there, Frank. Yeah, no signs of any recession fears here on Apple's big launch day. Details when Fast Money comes back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. And welcome back to Fast Money. New iPhone 14s failing to push Apple into positive territory. Shares falling on today's in-store debut, and they're off more than 4% this week. But lots and lots of folks lined up to get the new phone. And our Steve Kovac was there when the doors open at the Apple Store in Manhattan. Steve, always great to see you. So got to ask you, what was the vibe in the store today? And did you buy one? <laughs> I didn't buy one today, Frank, but uh, plenty of people are here and willing to buy one. We've been watching these lines kind of ebb and flow all day. And yes, people are in line and kind of the, the chattering around here, even people walking by me are curious. Why are people lining up for this thing? Aren't we headed towards a recession? Why are people plunking down all this money for an expensive phone? But the, I've been talking to people in line and they're excited to buy it. They wanted to be here on day one and they wanted to see Tim Cook. He was here uh, when the doors opened at 8 a.m. Wow. All right. So, Steve, which new iPhone models are selling the best? I mean, right now, I got like an iPhone negative one, man. I got to upgrade myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the early sales data, Frank, is uh, showing that the pro models, the more expensive ones, are actually selling out faster than the regular models. And that's kind of good news for Apple, if you think about it, because one, th this launch is a week earlier than normal. And two, those higher uh, prices for the iPhone boost the iPhone revenue. Cook reminded us last quarter that we're going to see modest revenue growth for Apple this quarter and to round out their fiscal year. And so this is probably why they chose to do it a week early to really end the quarter on a high note and meet those targets that Cook set. Do you have any, you have any preferences? I mean, there's different ones, different cameras and stuff. Do you have a personal preference? <laughs> I, I like the bigger one, that, that, that max size. More screen, more battery life. I'm out and about all the time, just like you are, Frank. So as much battery life as I could get, it's worth getting that extra chunky phone. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. Seeing a lot of people behind you. Steve Kovac, thanks. finger on the pulse of the consumer. Yeah. We really appreciate it. All right, we got to trade it. I mean, Sorry. any real thoughts here that an iPhone 14 was going to juice this stock in the, the environment, the macro environment, as FedEx's CEO said? Well, so the good news was that, you know, for a lot of people, they, they felt like they were in touch with the consumer. They kept the ASPs flat, at least in the U.S., which is their most important market. Some people implied that, uh, interpreted that as a sign of weakness. But there's definitely had been strength over the last week or so in Apple going into this, this downdraft because the sense was that the data coming out on the 14 was decent. Uh, the, the multiple on the forward basis, again, we talk about the market. Jeff talks about the e you know, Apple, to me, now trading probably eight or nine turns above the S&P on a forward basis. I, I don't think they can hold it. All right, Jeff, you need a new phone. 
Well, I do need a new phone. I was just saying, Amongst other things. Break, I don't know if my purchase is going to be enough to hold up that e-component. I, I was looking at the chart, and it's sort of interesting. We showed this probably a week or so ago, but it traded in that really tight upward channel from fall of 2020, broke below it, retested the bottom end, and now it's back down again. So technically, I don't think the setup's particularly good, and obviously I'm worried about the demand side of things. But listen, it all comes back to the Fed, right? What does the Fed need to see? They need to see weakness in the labor market. They have not seen that yet, so people are still buying. And oh, by the way, credit card debt continues to rise. So maybe that's part of what's fueling the consumption, but I just don't know if it's sustainable. Apple is the market. The market is Apple. So whichever way the overall macro market goes, Apple is going to follow that. So it's not enough to have a good news with Apple and a bad news for the overall market. Apple is just going to go the same way as the overall market. All right. So we're talking Apple. What are some other consumer names? Obviously, we're in a a situation maybe pre-recessionary, possibly. Any other consumer stocks that you're eyeing that can kind of ride out this storm? If we're worried about the consumer's pocketbook, then I have to go with McDonald's, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what has been the major source of inflation? It's been food. It's been energy. So if you want to feed a family, I have a family of six. I'm always out with my kids. I'm guilty of going through that drive through And for 18 bucks, I'm feeding my family. Guilty right? of what, Matt? Yeah. Drive-thru's great. What do you, no, what do you, well, why I, you apologize? Of, of not cooking a home-cooked oh. meal like your mom and my mom cooked. <laughs> a boy. Yeah, I've been in the backseat of your SUV. Nothing but well baseball done. gear and McDonald's bags. And I hate driving you around, so that's got to stop, too. <laughs> Any other consumer picks? Yeah, this was my boring is beautiful stock the other night. And I think when we're talking about exposure to the consumer, we want defensive. And AutoZone, mm-hmm. I think, is that. If you go back over the last number of recessions, look at the outperformance of AutoZone relative to the broad market. Uh, the thesis is not rocket science. The spending is less discretionary. I think that's a big part of it. Tim, you always talk about the dollar as well. Yep. 90% of sales are U.S.-based. I think it insulates the company as well for some of the stuff that's going on globally on a macro basis. So I think you can stick with this one. Yeah, Tim, in the midst of widespread panic, you want companies that are returning cash. Again, a company like Colgate, Colgate Palmolive, 60% payout ratio, 2.5 dividend yield. You want to get capital back in this environment. That's where you should be. You should be chasing staples. All right, coming up on Fast Money, a real fixer-upper. This stock dropping nearly 8% since Monday. Our twist on the chart of the week. That's coming up next. And later on Options Action, profits in a down market. How options can help you go long when everything else is falling short. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money coming up. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It is Friday, so you know what that means. Time for our chart of the week. We're keeping things very literal here today. Let's reveal our chart of the week. That's right, week with an A. Home Depot finishing today in the green, but since Monday, shares have fallen close to 8%. All right, let's trade HD. Tim, I'm going to come over to you real quick. What do you think? I mean, is the housing trade still going on here, or is this stock... Well, headed for some downturns with possible recession and also inflation. I'd like to point out that Home Depot is somewhat resilient in the rising rate environment because it is the place that you go fix up your home. And the problem is that the home equity loan is a big part of that as well. Uh, The pro business is also more cyclical. That's been a big part of the strength. I love Home Depot. Uh, Trade's expensive to lows. And in in this environment, I almost feel like the relative value trade lows to Home Depot. But but I I think you can buy it lower. I I think you're going to get it lower. And I I don't think you have to be crazy. This is another one of these stocks that on a a forward basis, you know, 17 times, 18 times. Not crazy. Certainly at a slight premium to the market. Um, but I think you're going to get this stock closer to 250. And I think below that, there's a couple other key levels. All right. You guys got both got a bunch of kids. Obviously, you got a lot of fixer uppers situation going on. Where are you at with this? Yeah, I, I agree with Tim. I think the home equity is the side of it that people aren't looking at, that it's going to be more expensive. Rates are going up all across the board. I don't think this is where you want to be putting your money. I do agree with that level back to February 2020. It looks like that's the level 240. 
The one surprising thing about the stock when I looked at it and made the same argument with AZO, it actually outperforms during recessions. You usually mm-hmm. see the underperformance leading into that economic contraction. Um, so but where were rates during those other recessions? Yeah, though. absolutely. And, and that's part of it. That's why I think you can still buy it lower. But it, it also tends to move before housing bottom. So I'm not saying this is it. This is the time to buy. But just pay attention to that. All right. Really quick around the horn, Tim, start with you. If not Home Depot, is there another name in this general space that you like? I talk about RH again, and again, this is also one that I don't think you have to own here, but it's a company that in nine times earnings, they've given you plenty of warning. They're, they're going to be non-promotional. I think they've been able to hold on to a lot of margin in here, but tough environment. But I, I, you know, this is a space I want to be in. I just don't need to own it tomorrow. All right, Jeff, name, no thesis. DHI, it's cheap. There's a margin of safety there. No touch. No touch? I don't want to be in this area. I, I don't think the market's bottom. I don't think it's bottom for anything that's rate sensitive. And I think these, these stocks are rate sensitive right now. All right. Quick programming note. The CEO of, H, of Home Depot is coming up on Mad Money next hour. I think Kramer even took a, a tour of a warehouse or something. All right. Time for final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, I think it. you're traveling light with Altria in this environment. It's 8.5% dividend payout yield and, and ultimately a company that continues to accrete cash flow, Altria. Jeff. TLT, I think you want to be extending your maturity in your bond portfolios. I think long rates are close to a peak. You can get the yield and potentially some price appreciation going forward. Grasso. I'm going to stay in the electric vehicle space. So Rivian is up 50% in the last three months. Tesla's up 30% in the last three months. Fisker only up 13%. That's the catch-up trade, Fisker. All right, that is it for us on Mad, on Fat Mad. I'm saying Mad Money, Fast Money, I'm putting them together. But just don't go anywhere. Options, actions coming up. Carter's getting his carding business going. We got a lot of <laughs> stuff going on. Stay with us. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.